Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the special meeting of the Richmond City Council convened for the mayor's presentation of the fiscal year 2023 budget. Madam Clerk, if you would make the necessary meeting announcement followed by the roll call. Yes, before we begin this meeting, I must state the following for the record. This meeting is being held as an electronic meeting pursuant to the current ongoing declaration of a local emergency concerning the COVID-19 pandemic confirmed by resolution number 2020-R025 adopted March 16, 2020, and as permitted by section 2.2-3708.2A3 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act. Notice of this meeting was provided to the public by means of, means of a public information advisory issued on March 2nd, 2022, as well as through Legistar on the city's website in accordance, in accordance with our usual practice. In order to identify each member of the council who is present electronically, I will now call the roll. Mr. Addison. Present. Ms. Jordan. Ms. Jordan. Ms. Lambert? Here. Ms. Nye? Ms. Nye? Ms. Lynch? Ms. Trammell? Here. Mr. Here. Jones? Vice President Robertson? Here. And President Newbill? Here. Madam President, all counselors are here with the exception of counselors Lynch and Jones. You do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Again, welcome everyone. And at this time, uh, Mr. Mayor, we would uh, invite you to present the fiscal year uh, 2023 uh, budget proposal. Thank you. President Newbill, Vice President Robertson, honorable members of City Council, dedicated fellow city employees and residents of the great city of Richmond, good afternoon. Before I begin, I'd like to acknowledge the incredible hard work, dedication of our budget and finance teams, led by Budget Director Jason May and Finance Director Sheila White, who have been at this since July of 2021. And under the leadership of Sabrina Joy Hogg, the Deputy Chief Administrative Officer for Finance and Administration and our Chief Administrative Officer, Lincoln Saunders, this team, with your input, has produced a structurally sound, fiscally responsible, and fully balanced $836 million general fund budget that I'm proud to present to you today, the upcoming 2023 fiscal year. Ladies and gentlemen, it goes without saying that this past year brought many changes and challenges to our city. We spent another year in the throes of a global pandemic, which has impacted the lives of everyone and everything, including your city government and its finances. And it continues to do so to this very day. But despite the obstacles, we still continue to pursue growth and economic opportunity for all of our residents. And thanks to the work of our economic development team, we added over a thousand new jobs and generated $409 million in new business investments last year. And that's not including the anticipated half billion dollar investment and 2000 jobs we expect from the recently announced expansion, of the CoStar Group in downtown Richmond. We're also thankful for 
the significant federal assistance, $155 million from the Biden administration in the form of the American Rescue Plan Act, which will allow us to propel our city forward. And we are using the majority of that funding to invest in the health and welfare of our children, our families, and our neighborhoods in keeping with our goals within the equity agenda. Although last year we narrowly lost an opportunity to begin a significant development in Southside with a resort casino, we are not giving up. And if we succeed, we will be providing 1,500 good paying jobs to residents who need them the most and providing the first tax relief in more than 15 years to our homeowners. As you all are aware, we have begun the process of developing more than 60 acres of underutilized prime city real estate, the Diamond District, that will maintain the upward growth and financial trajectory of our great city. So I'm optimistic that as we emerge from the pandemic, we are poised to thrive in the years ahead. Now, I attribute this to the strength, resilience, and initiative shown over the last year by members of our city workforce, by this council, and most of all, by the business owners and residents of this great city who have persevered through it all. The budget I present to you today is built on this strength and my unwavering commitment to improving the quality of life for all of our residents. Now, all budgets require compromises and sacrifices in order to meet our obligations. This budget is no exception. So, by necessity, this budget remains conservatively grounded by the uncertainties of pandemic economics. This budget and the accompanying $627 million five-year capital improvement plan makes critical new investments that reflect the priorities of a city that believes in high quality public education for our children, the value of investing in the city employees who serve us, the importance of maintaining quality streets and city services, access to affordable housing, and the memorialization of our city's full and true history. Members of council, we asked and you told us your priorities for improving city services and the quality of life for Richmonders was your number one priority. You asked for investments in schools and parks, in public safety, in planning, permitting and code enforcement, in economic development and transportation, and in retaining and recruiting a talented city workforce. And we listened. We need to do all those things. This budget does all of those things. This budget is not an either or. It's a both and. It is the dollars and cents manifestation of what I said to you just a few short weeks ago in my State of the City address. From public education to public safety to public servants and public services, this administration remains committed to the fix. Now our finance and administration team, along with CAO Saunders and his team, will be working through the details with you in the weeks to come. So today I will provide you with a brief overview of this year's plan. So first things first, I'm pleased to announce that this budget proposal contains no rate increases in real estate, personal property, or other general taxes. That said, here is where we stand financially. The city tax revenue projections are improving and stabilizing, due in part to help from an increase in assessed real estate values and signs that our consumer-driven revenues, most notably 
from sales and meals taxes have started to rebound. On the other side of the ledger, remember, we also have fixed and increasing costs that don't go away and in some areas are greater because of the pandemic. We've had to contend with a 7.5% jump in the consumer price index, also known as inflation. This jump reflects the fastest pace of inflation in 40 years, which is why you are seeing prices increase for gas, used cars, and even Oreo cookies. City costs are no different. So this year, our increased costs include the city's debt service, health insurance, retirement contributions, contracted services, salaries and increases in the cost to dispose of municipal solid waste, and provide utilities. Unlike the federal government, we're not allowed to run a deficit. We have to balance our budget every year and match revenues to both our funding obligations and our priorities. So this year, we are recommending modest increases in several fees to bridge the gap. Here's two of note. Monthly parking. Monthly parking in city-owned lots will increase by $5 a month. And hourly parking will increase from $1.50 to $2 an hour. And there will be a dollar increase in the municipal solid waste fee from $21.45 to $22.45. Not surprisingly, the cost to provide gas, water, sewer, and stormwater services have also increased. The annual rate for gas will increase by 4% and water will increase by 3.5%. Wastewater or sewer costs will increase by 5.25%. The rate increases also include an 8.75% increase for stormwater abatement costs. As you know, this is part of our ongoing efforts to rebuild our city's ancient infrastructure to prevent flooding in key areas, particularly in Southside. Now, nobody likes paying more, but these rate increases are necessary to provide the top-notch utility services our residents expect and deserve. On the bright side, as was the case with last year's spending plan, this year's budget also protects the work we've started to make our city more equitable by maintaining funding for more poor programs and services we know our residents depend upon. In fact, thanks to ARPA dollars, we are able to increase investments in some of these critical areas. As we have said previously, we're dedicating $20 million in ARPA funding to affordable housing efforts, $10 million was released in December 2021, and those applications are being reviewed now. And another 10 million will be allocated once we receive the second tranche of ARPA dollars later this spring. This, spring. this will mark over a 1,200% increase in our funding commitment to affordable housing since I took office. I also understand that as federal dollars and relief programs begin to expire, there, are, could, there could be increased housing challenges for some of our most vulnerable residents. And that is why we are not only maintaining our commitment to funding our city's eviction diversion program, but we propose increasing its funding by roughly 50% to a total of $727,000. Now in transportation, our annual allocation to the Greater Richmond Transit Corporation will increase by $605,000 to a total of $8.7 million. This increase represents our required allocation to GRTC based on inflation. And as I said in my State of the City address, as long as I'm your mayor, I've pledged to maintain fair, free transit in the city of Richmond. 
And as you know, in addition to city funding, DRTC operations are also funded by regional partners and by the Central Virginia Transportation Authority, where I chair the Finance Committee. Our local investments and regional investments provided through the CVTA have put GRTC on solid financial footing. As such, it is my strong expectation to see GRTC upgrade its network of bus amenities, such as shelters and benches, in the coming year. Mass transit is a lifeline between homes and jobs for many of our residents. They deserve to have a dignified shelter and safe place to wait for the bus. I look forward to seeing an amenities plan presented to my administration and the city council by May 2nd. We're also making new investments across city departments in other key areas as well. Now more than ever, our children and their working parents need support and enriching experiences. So we are going to allocate an additional $1.5 billion to parks and recreation and community services to continue and expand the city's after school programming. We're also allocating $250,000 for a park ranger pilot program. These rangers will not be armed, but will work with Richmond Police Department. The goal is to educate and ensure park guidelines are followed, such as having no littering or fireworks or unleashed dogs. So these valuable community assets remain safe and enjoyable for all who use them. To address the increased demand and interest in the growth of our city, we will purchase new software for the Department of Planning and Development and Review. This will allow us to provide better communication with our customers on a number of topics like how the permitting process works, how to submit complete permit applications, how to internally track complex permit applications requiring multiple disciplinary plan reviews, and how a customer may check on the status of their permit application at any time. We're also adding our additional positions to our property maintenance and code enforcement division that will expand our ability to monitor compliance so residents have safe places to live and to work. Our public libraries serve as gateways to learning and self-advancement for many of our residents. So we're also allocating an additional 436,000 to this important community resource, effectively restoring RPL's budget to its pre-pandemic funding levels. And we're also purchasing new software so our Office of Minority Business Development can implement a disparity study. And we are increasing staff in our Office of Sustainability to assist with the, with the implementation of RVA Green 2050. And we will hire a part-time veterinarian to assist our nationally recognized Richmond Animal Care Control Division, which has done amazing work despite being understaffed and overcapacity for far too long. Unfortunately, this year's budget does not allow us to provide many new non-departmental grants to deserving programs that operate outside of city government. But I'm pleased to say that nearly all of our existing grantees will be level funded for the next year, and some will receive increases in funding as well. Several of note, we will provide a supplement to our public defenders that will match the salary supplement the city provides to our Commonwealth's attorneys. We are also providing modest increases to our safety net providers who provide health care to our most vulnerable residents. These include Health Brigade, Crossover Ministries, and Daily Planning. The pandemic has all only increased the need for mental health services in our community, so we are increasing 
the Richmond Behavioral Health Authority's budget from $3.4 million to $3.7 million. And we will maintain funding for critical organizations that support our homeless population, including Caritas, Commonwealth, Ca Ca Commonwealth Catholic Charities, and Home Again. We will maintain a reserve for the establishment of the Civilian Review Board as well. That will stand at $204,000. And lastly, we are providing an additional $400,000 to the Black History Museum and Cultural Center of Virginia. As you know, the museum now has the substantial task of deciding what should be done with the Confederate monuments it has received from the city. We owe not only a debt of gratitude, but also have a responsibility to ensure it has the financial support to successfully commence this important project. Now, let me turn from the past back to the present and our future, our children's future. As you know, I'm very proud of our work together to prioritize and invest in our schools and students. In fact, since I took office, we have built three new schools in communities of color and currently have $200 million in our CIP budget for new school construction. We've also funded teacher salary increases in after school programming. Now, with that said, I remain deeply concerned and disappointed by the failure of our school board leadership to stop its infighting and political gamesmanship long enough to fulfill its basic obligation to submit its budget request by the communicated deadline. As I said last week, the ongoing dysfunction, the majority of that body will not deter my commitment to putting our children first or to being a fiscally responsible steward your taxpayer dollars. And that's why I'm taking the following steps. Absent the time or opportunity for our team to carefully review and vet the RPS board's request, I am as promised submitting a budget that level funds Richmond Public Schools at its already historically high level from the last year. But I'm also placing an additional $15 million in a contingency for reserve fund that will be available to the school system. However, this fund will require an ordinance subject to the approval of you, the members of city council, in order to appropriate. Taking together, this is enough funding in my budget proposal for RPS to provide raises for our hardworking teachers, cover administrative needs, and support its efforts to improving learning outcomes for our kids. These investments represent a $51 million increase or 33% in new funding for RPS since I took office. For fiscal year 2023, my administration will provide $75 million more than what the state requires us to provide as a local contribution to support our schools. Secondly, we're also establishing the first ever children's fund. This $500,000 fund managed by our Office of Children and Families will allow us to be responsive to the ever-changing post-pandemic landscape of out-of-school time. This includes after-school and summer programs, youth employment opportunities, as well as early childhood support. Over the past few years, we've learned that it can be hard to predict funding needs for these priorities, but I believe this support is critical to helping our families get back to work and recover from the pandemic. You know, it's simple. As long as I'm your mayor, we will continue to put our children first. Now, earlier, I mentioned the use of ARPA dollars 
which we will use to make capital improvements to our parks and build four community centers. But let me let me briefly touch on some other areas in which our five year CIP budget this year reflects ongoing investments in community needs and priorities. My proposed capital budget includes over $17 million in transportation infrastructure funding, which includes approximately $5 million from the CVTA. Additionally, the proposed capital budget includes over $35 million in federal, state, and regional funding above and beyond the City of Richmond's local general obligation components of the plan. Under the leadership of DPW Director Bobby Vincent and Dorona Clark-Moore in the Office of Equitable Transit and Mobility, these dollars will allow us to invest in complete streets. That is, to continue to make significant investments in paving, bridge maintenance, new bike lanes, sidewalk maintenance, and new sidewalk construction. Overall, this continues our efforts to enhance the walkability and connectivity of our great city. Our CIP plan also includes $28 million in funding for the development of the Heritage Campus in Chaco Bottom. This fiscal year, we expect to engage the community, design the campus, and put the first phase of work out to bid. This year, we also plan to take important steps to enhance our city's fiscal future by implementing financial best practices in how we pay for our fleet of city vehicles and how we strategically plan for large capital projects. During the Great Recession and in the years following, our cash-strapped city confronted with pressing immediate needs was compelled to finance the purchase of fleet vehicles with short-term debt. Here's a problem with that. Every dollar of short-term debt translates to $2 of long-term debt that, can't, that we can't use to finance bigger projects. But paying $70,000 in cash for a fully outfitted police car frees up about $140,000 worth of long-term debt financing, which can be used for capital projects. So ladies and gentlemen, a city this size should avoid at all costs paying for its vehicles with a credit card. And that's why we have made the decision to transfer $10 million from the general fund to the CIP budget to finance the cash purchase of fleet vehicles. Our city fleet plan will address deferred capital replacement of key municipal vehicles in the five-year CIP. We'll upgrade our police, fire, and refuse vehicles to meet professional standards and internal auditor rep recommendations for readiness. Making this move now will set us on a more solid financial path and open up opportunities for future capital investment. Secondly, thinking long-term, we must face the fact that we're going to need to embark upon some serious upgrades to our city government infrastructure. In the near future, we need to build a new courthouse and public safety complex. And in the not too distant future, we will need to build a new city hall. Now I won't be your mayor when these projects are completed. The planning needs to start now, today. That's why we are going to establish a $10 million capital planning fund within the CIP. This fund will enable the city to undertake a preliminary architectural engineering and design work for major capital projects so we as a city can more precisely determine future costs for big projects. With better planning, we are able to create a pipeline of projects with better cost estimates by doing the important work up front. Finally, none of the great advancements we have made in building a more equitable city 
and improving the quality of life for all of our residents and none of the fixes we are bringing as government leaders to meet the challenges of our day are possible without dedicated public employees who make it all happen. We owe them our respect. We owe them our thanks. While giving thanks is appreciated, it does not pay the bills. Two years into this pandemic, those bills have not gotten smaller. The fact is, we will not achieve service improvement goals if we do not stabilize the 8% attrition rate in the city workforce, or if we can't competitively recruit. And in a city that strives for equity and has a workforce that is roughly 65% persons of color, we must walk the walk. That is why I'm pleased to announce that my budget proposes a 5% salary increase for all non-sworn city employees. Further, this budget increases the wages of 151 low-wage workers, and if approved, no one directly employed by the city of Richmond will make less than $17 an hour. Now, according to MIT's living wage calculator, this puts our city government above the living wage for an adult with no children in the Richmond area. I've been mayor for more than five years, and during that time, we have provided five, five step increases for our hardworking first responders. But it's clear we have to do more. In this day and age, few public services jobs are harder than being a, public, a police officer or a firefighter. And it's a simple law of supply and demand that as more and more first responders leave their jobs, competition for those who stay on is greater. We face that competition today, right in our own backyard. I want Richmond officers and Richmond firefighters, the ones we train, the ones who know our communities serving the city of Richmond. That is why I'm pleased to announce that my budget proposes spending $17.4 million to enact a pay plan that makes police and firefighter pay competitive for our first, first responders. This plan increases salaries in both departments across the board. 95% of police officers and firefighters will receive more than a 10% salary increase, with 83% of them receiving increases of more than 15%. This plan will also raise the starting salary of Richmond police officers from $44,000 to over $51,000. If not only, it not only makes RPD and RFD salaries highly competitive with our regional partners, but it also elevates them to among the highest in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The plan is the product of our public safety pay plan work group. This team of five police officers, five firefighters, representing multiple levels of their departments, worked with Police Chief Smith and Fire Chief Carter to address this important issue. I'm grateful for their hard work and I'm grateful for the members from RPD, those like Officer Carol Adams, Detective Brendan Levy, Sergeant Matthew Seagal, Acting Lieutenant Crystal Simmons and Detective Amira Sleen. And for Richmond Fire, I wanna thank Lieutenant Robin uh, Avils, Battalion Chief Martin Bailey Jr. Firefighter Parker Banks, Deputy Fire Chief Andrew Steen, and Firefighter William Spindle. And before folks get cynical out there, 
I want to assure you that this is not a one off. Going forward, we will continue our dialogue with this group to address issues. And I'm committed to our city staying competitive and keeping pace with first responder pay in the region. In conclusion, Madam President, honorable members of city council and my fellow Richmonders, I'm confident in and optimistic for our city's future. The city of Richmond is well positioned to continue its upward trajectory thanks to the conservative revenue projections, targeted investments, and fiscally responsible management reflected in this balanced budget. With your help, we have protected core city services and the public servants who provide them. We've expanded investments in education, housing, transportation, and public safety that support our residents and shore up our safety net. And we have implemented financial best practices that will promote the efficient use of taxpayer dollars to help us grow in the future. It's because of you that Richmond remains an attractive place to live, work, and play, not simply surviving, but thriving. So, Madam President, I want to thank you, the honorable members of City Council, for your time this afternoon, and I appreciate everything you've done and continue to do working with us to build one Richmond. I look forward to working with you in the coming weeks to advance this budget for the benefit of our great city. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. With that, Deputy Clark, if you would please read the introductory papers for this afternoon. Yes, Madam President, the introduction papers for this afternoon are as follows. The following ordinances will be scheduled for a public hearing on Monday, April 11th at 6 p.m. An ordinance to adopt the general fund budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the special fund budgets for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to accept a program of proposed capital improvement projects for fiscal year beginning July 1st, 2022 and for the four fiscal years thereafter. An ordinance to appropriate and to provide funds for financing the school budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the debt service fund budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the internal service fund budgets for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Department of Parks, Recreation and Community Facilities, Richmond Cemeteries budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Department of Public Works Parking Enterprise Fund budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Electric Utility budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Gas Utility budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Department of Public Utilities Stores Internal Service Fund budgets for the fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Water Utility budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt Wastewater Utility budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to adopt the Stormwater Utility budget for fiscal year 2023. An ordinance to amend the pay plan for the purpose of revising certain classification titles, changing the pay ranges of certain classification titles, providing a 5% adjustment of general pay ranges, providing a 5% increase for eligible employees, to provide for salary supplements for the Office of the Commonwealth Attorney and the Office of the Sheriff, suspending the education incentive for sworn fire and police employees, to increase the limit of extraordinary performance bonus, to increase the hourly minimum rate of city employees to $17, 
to provide for the full implementation of the step-based pay plan for sworn fire and police employees to remove broadband and career development programs from exclusions to the performance adjustments and to repeal a career development program. An ordinance to amend city code concerning where columbaria are located, concerning cremation benches, and to revise certain fees. An ordinance to amend city code for the purpose of changing the measurement of natural gas from quantities per thousand cubic feet to quantities per hundred cubic feet, and to amend city code concerning fees for residential gas service. An ordinance to amend city code to establish a revised charges for stormwater utility services. An ordinance to amend city code to establish revised charges for wastewater utility services. An ordinance to amend city code concerning fees for residential water service, commercial water service, industrial water service, municipal water service, for state and federal water service, for water for fire protection, and for water use during conservation periods. An ordinance to amend city code concerning yes, for police fire <laughs> to amend city code concerning fees for police offense reports to establish a revised fee. An ordinance to amend city code concerning charges for transferring solid waste and recycling to establish revised charges. An ordinance to amend city code concerning fees for use of public parks to revise fees. An ordinance to amend city code concerning rates for parking facilities and concerning installation of meters, charges, and manner of parking to revise the fees. An ordinance to amend city code concerning the Office of Strategic Communications and Civic Engagement, concerning the creation and composition and purpose of the Office of Sustainability, concerning the appointment and powers of the manager of such office, and concerning additional retirement allowances for certain city officials. An ordinance to authorize the issuance of public utility revenue bonds of the city in the maximum principal amount of $65,115,842 to finance the cost of capital improvement projects of the gas, water, and wastewater utilities and public utilities, buildings, and facilities. An ordinance to cancel all authorized but unused, unissued bonds authorized in fiscal year 2018 and to authorize the issuance of general obligation public improvement bonds of the city in the maximum principal amount of $60 million to finance the cost of school projects and general capital improvement projects of the city. An ordinance to cancel all authorized but unissued bonds authorized in fiscal year 2015 and to authorize the issuance of general obligation public improvement bonds of the city in the maximum principal amount of $27,775,000 to finance the cost of capital improvement projects for the storm water utility of the city. Madam President, that concludes the reading of the introductory papers this afternoon. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Madam Clark, I understand that a motion is required regarding the budget related papers. That is correct. So moved. Uh, please allow me to read the motion first. Thank you. I will need a motion to suspend rule six of the council's rules of procedure for all budget related ordinances introduced today so that those ordinances are not referred to or reviewed by a standing committee, but are instead reviewed during a budget review process developed by the council and the council chief of staff and heard during the budget public hearing scheduled for Monday, April the 11th, 2022 at 6 p.m. Council member Jones, will you make that motion? Still so moved. <laughs> Thank you. Second. Thank you. Council is voting on the motion to suspend rule six of council's rules of procedure as stated. Mr. Addison. 
Aye. Ms. Jordan? Aye. Ms. Lambert? Aye. Ms. Nye? Ms. Nye, if you're on by phone, please dial star six. I see that you're unmuted. Ms. Lynch? Ms. Trammell? Aye. Mr. Jones? Aye. Vice President Robertson? Aye. And President Newbill? Aye. That motion has been approved. Thank you, Madam Clark. Again, Mayor, thank you for the presentation of the fiscal year 2023 budget to the body. And with that, members, uh, there are no further agenda items for this meeting. Therefore, this meeting will now stand adjourned. Have a great weekend. Thank you.